0: Hey, what's going
1: on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Conor Guerra. Will Alabama is winning a national championship. Don't you know it? Heard it here first from a certain J.C. Latham. Okay. Yowza. Yowza. Um, okay, so a little context. At Media Days, we're through three days now of SEC media days. We're going to recap uh, the last two days. Gary Danielson, great interview with him coming up. We got about 25 minutes with Gary. Um, and for those saying like, I hope you held him accountable, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think you'll agree that I, I did to the best of my ability without being a total douche the entire time. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that. We are also going to discuss the AJC story and the the news that we got on Wednesday that the AJC reporter um, who had the original story, has been fired. They issued a correction for the the story and the claims that he made about the sexual assault culture at Georgia. We're going to get to all that. But Georgia, not Georgia, Bama is winning a national championship according to J.C. Latham. Usually, I don't look too far into guarantees, Will, but when you see something this this kind of bold, you take note of it when it comes from an Alabama player. If you don't know what I'm talking about, didn't see the context, we got this, 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 I, I don't want to say like rampage from JC Latham, but
2: <laughs> that's, that's Some too bars, much. perhaps?
1: Some bars. Yeah, we got some, we got some bars from JC J. Latham. He said the Alabama offensive line, offensive lineman. Um, He was, first question he's asked is about like, how do you feel about expectations for this Alabama's team being lower than what they've been? Uh, in years past, it was Michael Casagrande who asked the question. He's, it's like disrespectful. I don't appreciate that at all. Understanding this group. I know we're going to win it all. National championship, undefeated Joe Moore award. I want that also. Um, okay. And then I also asked him like, how would you feel about if Bama isn't picked to win the sec for the first time since 2015, And he said, fuel to the fire. I know we're going to go out there, compete, dominate into what we have to do to win. And I know we're going to win it all and go undefeated. Whatever anybody outside of our family says essentially isn't what matters. When you hear somebody say that, like from a fan's perspective, are you like, all right, let's go? Or do
2: you do you find yourself saying like, I kind of wish they didn't say that? I think it being Bama is the big part of the news, right? Because I think it's all contextual to a team. I mean, honestly, if an LSU player said that, I would probably be like, okay, cool. We love the confidence. But in the back of my mind, I would say, you know, that's disrespectful to Georgia. That's disrespectful to Alabama. That's disrespectful to Ohio State. Because, I mean, hey, Alabama and LSU had this in common last year. They did not make the college football playoff. So at the end of the day, I think that it depends on where you are. I mean, if you're Georgia... And you're one of those guys, and you're saying, look, we're going three straight. I don't know what to tell you. I think you have a place to do that. I think you've earned that. Not to say that Alabama hasn't earned that, but I think that Alabama has gotten there from kind of doing the opposite of that. And let me ask you this question. When was the last time we got a quote? Because, I mean, that's rat poison. You know? When, yeah, when was the last yeah. time we got a quote like this from a Bama player? That's why we're leading with it, to be honest
1: with you. And after Nick Saban... I, I'd say steered away from any sort of um, chip on our shoulder type stuff. He actually talked about how uh, expectations, what was the exact quote? It was about like how expectations can um, have something about I'm gonna I'm gonna have this exact quote in, in, a, in a second here. Expectations in some way are a premeditated way to create disappointment, which I took that as Saban saying, Last year, we were the overwhelming preseason number one. 54-63 first place votes in the AP poll. The stat that I always bring up every single year. 17 of the last 18 years, the preseason number one team in the AP poll did not win a national championship. Alabama did not win a national championship. Two pre-Iron Bowl losses for the first time since 2010. You know all these things. So, bringing it back to what Latham was talking about, I think two things could be true at the same time. I don't think it's disrespectful to say that somebody else, the two-time defending national champs, should be the pick to win the SEC. I don't think it's disrespectful to say that LSU has fewer questions than Alabama. If we picked a non-division winner who went 10-2 and and who ranked 125th in Bill Connolly's percentage of returning production stat, if we blindly pick that team to win a national championship when they have an unsettled quarterback room, and just said, you know what, Bama's earned it. There will be some that, that say that that's fine, but I think context is needed. If I was J.C. Latham, yeah, I'd probably feel that way too. I'd probably feel like this is kind of what Bama has been looking for, and we've talked about this before, the fact that the last three times that Bama has not been picked to win the SEC, not only have they won the SEC, they've won a national championship, and we reserve the right. To say if Bama is not the pick to win the West, we're going to pick them to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. So it's it is interesting though to see that this is going to be the 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 lowest of expectations, the first time probably that Bama is not a preseason top three team, the first time that's happened since two thousand nine. I think that's on the table, Man. and I think you can tell some players are starting to feel that a little bit. Maybe Saban is, maybe he isn't. You can kind of read into that what you will. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, do you think? So you let ahead? let me let me ask you this though, do you think that mm-hmm. if if you are from from the LSU vantage point, do you think that you are now in a position where, like, if LSU becomes if LSU repeats as West champs, which is something has never done, if if that happens this year and Bama's once again left out in the cold, in my opinion. This is like the first sign that there is a true chink in the armor and that this is actually like, oh, hey, this is this this could be the beginning of the end. If if this was going to look a certain way, I would think it would start with something like this. That was an earlier question.
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. You're you're good. And like, it makes sense, right? Because it's all this is all time playing the results thing. I mean, the most famous one of these ever was an Alabama alum, Joe Namath, right? With the guarantee. And at that point, you know, they were an AFC team who were taking on they're the, an AFL team who were taking on the pre-established NFL and nobody gave them a shot. And so when they won that game, it's become this piece of lore that this guy, you know, Broadway Joe believed in himself and guaranteed this win. But I think it's all about context. I know that it sounds like what I just said, but yeah, I think that, you know, this is one of those moments that's going to be put at the beginning of the highlight clip. If Alabama at the beginning of the championship DVD, as I always say, where it starts off and it's just him sitting there at the podium. And he's like, we're going to win a national championship. And then it's just Alabama hitting the mess out of people. It's like, you know, Nick Saban holding up. Like, but at the same time, yeah, I think to your point, it's going to look different. I think we can say that about this Alabama team. When you change both of your coordinators, when you have a first-year starting quarterback, when you don't have these faces, and, I mean, the faces around the Alabama program, forget the players, the faces that we're used to seeing from even a couple of years ago have been completely changed out. The guys that you could kind of hang your hat on and say, you know, this guy is great at this job, therefore I can trust Alabama will be good at this, except for Nick Saban. And it reminds me of, like, you know, later in the Belichick run, whenever everybody was gone, whenever you know McDaniels was gone, Bill O'Brien, you know, and 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 it's one of those things that is going to be so much cooler for Saban's lore. Um, and you know, same thing. We always compare him to Popovich and to um, and and to Belichick. Same thing with Popovich, right? You know, do it without Tim Duncan, do it without uh, the Admiral. You know, and so that's what a true dynasty is when you could just completely reload. So this is the most Alabama I think has ever reloaded. Um so that just makes it that much more impressive if they do win, but if they don't, I think I'm exactly right there with you that this looks completely different and it looks like the the cracks are starting to show. It looks like you have a whole, you know, new NIL TikTok generation of players who want to be me first. You know, it's easy to paint that narrative too.
1: And I feel like I've been the guy who's been defending Bama more than not because I don't want to be the person to prematurely dismiss Bama. We've talked about mm-hmm. this before. But I'm the person that's going on record saying, yeah, I still I think I think Bama's going to win the West. I think we're going to get a Bama Georgia showdown in the SEC championship. But at the same time, do I think it's like some slap in the face that we have fewer questions about Georgia or, you know, fewer questions about LSU? No, like this is this is the context. And also Bama's been to nine of the last 14 national championships. They've earned the right to feel disrespected. They've earned the right to play that card, especially when it's like, okay, so they've also been to two of the last four national or two of the last three national championships as well. So you can kind of point to that. It, it look you, you can spin this any way you want. You absolutely can. It It is going to feel different. And you know, the last last year having these sky high expectations with the two household names in college football and Will Anderson and Bryce Young. And having this bar that was set so high, there is not that bar this year because ironically enough, we don't have those two household names. It's kind of like once you get past the three that were at SEC media days, JC Latham, Kool-Aid, McKinstry, Dallas Turner, you get past those three and it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? This guy's like kind of promising and like, you know, we had Tyler Brooker on the show. I think Tyler Brooker is going to be a great player. I think he's going to be phenomenal in what he did as a true freshman, but like a guy that's still trying to establish himself and you don't have these these returners. So, like, that is what's fueling this entire discussion about Bama. And I think the discussion has been justified for the most part. I really have. Like, the people that are saying, like, oh, they're going to go eating 4 9 3 I don't I haven't really found a whole lot of those people yet. <laughs> But I think it's been mostly fair to Bama, and I think we've mostly had that context here, and we don't know at this moment what that vote is going to look like for the SEC West. I can't wait to see that when we find that out on Thursday, and maybe by the time people are listening to this, we'll already know. But, man, it did did feel interesting to hear that, especially right after Saban really was not giving into that at all and to have a player put himself out there in a way that we don't
2: typically hear from, from a Bama player. So so two quick things, and I'm sure that there will be a Vama fan who can easily tell me this. I'm sure that maybe somebody said something in the locker room scrum that, you know, we as national viewers just wouldn't be as doubted, or at least me, you might remember it. But can you remember an Alabama player ever saying anything like that? There, there probably
1: is. Uh, There there probably is it at some point like that I'm just losing sight of right now. And I don't honestly like after three days of this, my brain's a little bit fried, but
2: uh, no, they're good. I'm I'm telling you like, yeah. As a casual fan, I don't remember, like not a casual fan, but someone who, you know, watches the national stuff of Bama, doesn't watch the locker room scrums, you know, isn't there at practice every day. I mean, I don't really remember a lot of this stuff. You know, there's like the Scott Cochran thing, but it's like, that's again, different. So I don't know. Um, Yeah. And and, then the thing that we've been talking about with Bama that's so fascinating about this year's Bama team is that that confidence either comes from arrogance slash delusion or it comes from, you don't know about these guys that we got in our locker room or what we're seeing on the practice field. And that's why me and you have continued to bump around, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Because the guy might not exist. The guy might be a figment of someone's imagination. It might be you see this linebacker who's knocking the mess out of people in practice, and he gets in the SEC, and he disappears. We don't know. But we've been looking up and down this Alabama we're also trying to find the guy that makes these guys this confident or as scary as Will Anderson or Bryce Young. And we're just having trouble trying to find that guy. And I think everyone kind of is right now.
1: It's possible that by the time we're talking in the middle of October, we're like, you know what? Well, we've talked enough about Justice Haynes, the true freshman running back. We've talked enough about Malik Benson, the former number one JUCO, the number one overall recruit from the JUCO ranks. Like, we've talked enough about these guys. We should probably like it, it could all it could change that quickly. That there is mm-hmm. a very realistic possibility that that's the case. But yes, interesting, very newsworthy, in my opinion. Quote from J.C. Latham coming out of uh, the festivities in Nashville. How about the Georgia side? This was a surprising, I think 35 minutes from Kirby smart in the main media area, which is like, that's, that's the big time. Like you got your one-offs here and there. And I I get it. Like you, they they do the car wash. They go everywhere. Kirby smart was, he was asked 13 questions. One of them was related to the, the speeding issues, the off field issues of Georgia players this year. He got as many questions about Pat Fitzgerald as he did about that. And for those of you saying, like, oh my gosh, you you media members, you totally failed. You let them off the hook. Yeah, Kirby kind of got let off the hook in that setting a little bit. I would also push back and be like, think about it. He answered 13 questions. There's hundreds of media members in there, tons of people who do not get called on and get to ask any of those questions. It's just kind of random the way that it can play out sometimes. Kirby also addressed this at a local at a local media availability last week, and they kind of already got ahead of this a little bit. So what was he going to say that he that he hasn't already said? Probably not a whole lot. I mean, hearing said Van Praan say like, you know, we, we've got to get better. Like, we've got to be able to improve. This is the standard. I mean, Georgia is held to a different standard than everybody else, because when you're the two-time defending national champs, yeah, that comes with the territory, Georgia fans. This is what you wanted. This is what you asked for. This is the type of cr- scrutiny that you're going to be held to under normal circumstances, and these aren't normal circumstances because of the tragedy that took place after the championship parade. Uh, but I, I, th- I thought that Kirby came off super confident, and I've I've pointed this out. That dude took a turn in in 2021, like when he showed up to media days that year. I noticed how relaxed Kirby was in a way that he had not been coming to this event in the past. And he was kind of on edge a little bit. And I always thought he knew that team was, was ready. And he, he really in every year since then, Kirby's like throwing jokes around. Maybe you can throw jokes around a little bit easier when you got a hundred million dollars contract. That's that's coming your way. But Kirby, Kirby's a confident dude. I I loved hearing him talk about Brock Bowers. I would listen Mm -hmm. to Kirby, tell stories about Brock Bowers, all day and hearing him say the the story about like there were younger tight ends who wanted to challenge Bowers to these 100-yard sprints that they were doing and usually in these sprints it's like it's like individual and you don't get rest and they wanted to challenge him and just rotate the young tight ends and like they would get rest and then they would just have a new new guy go in there and they thought they were going to get him and Bowers like just beat him at every turn just beat him at every single turn but like despite while all while playing that, chess. <laughs> while while playing chess, he's smart dude. He's is three point what like four or five GPA as a finance major, which Kirby talked about, mm-hmm. tried to dunk on him because Kirby was a finance major at UGA as well and had a slightly better GPA. Um, but the the one thing that we got that is proof that Brock Bowers is human, something that I've you know kind of su- suspected based on his limited media appearances and kind of like listening to him talk. He is human because talking in front of the media is not his jam. It's not. And that's fine. Like that's perfectly fine. Kirby challenged us to get three sentences out of him. I don't think that happened. Like, I don't think we got three sentences out of Brock in any given answer, which, you know, that, that, that doesn't really matter. Kirby was talking about how he's the quietest, hardest worker that he has ever had. Brock won't even admit that he's the best tight end in college football. Like next round, asked him about that and he's like, wouldn't even take the bait on, on something like that. He's very much guarded. I saw him in the bathroom later on and he's like chopping it up with his teammates and stuff like that. He, Some people are just like that. I won't look into that at all. I'll continue to say that when he steps on the football field, Brock Bowers is not human and that only confirmed. Mm-hmm.
2: It. 100%. Yeah. And, and, and just to like, you know, quickly follow up on your, your thing about, you know, 13 questions and, and Kirby, and we'll get into this a little bit more later in the podcast, but I really feel like, you know, yeah, we all want this moment of some somebody just booming Kirby smart and being like, like people imagine like you got to hold them accountable. And like somebody's just going to grab a mic and be like, how do you tell these parents? Da, da, da. That's never going to happen in that setting. I think that the people that genuinely expect that to happen, let's just be real for a second here. Like these guys often see these coaches once a year and this is it. So if you make your impression that you're trying to really get after somebody in front of everyone, they're going to not answer the question and not talk to you again. And so, and like, this is the part we'll get to later. That is more on local media to hold guys or told to teams and coaches accountable, because as we've talked about, and you know, the Pat Fitzgerald thing is a great example with the, the student newspaper doing the boots on the ground reporting. You're yep. never going to be able to grab a microphone with a guy that you don't have a rapport with who is a two-time national champion and just say how dare you and think you're gonna get anything useful and that will affect your career positively so yeah he probably should have gotten more questions from guys you know generally but to think that some blogger or some guy like national guy I'm not gonna name any names is gonna put their neck out for a job that should be done by local reporting I think is you know there's a time and a place and you gotta really I mean he could just not answer the question you know
1: yeah, the AJC thing, like you could default to the university statement, like that's that's the way that that typically plays out. Any mm-hmm. question that was related on a on a separate note, any question that was related to the Tennessee investigation that any coach was asked about, any players' involvement, they defaulted to like, oh, like Kirby said at one point, like I don't get involved in NCAA violations with the, the report. I think it was from the Knoxville News about uh, Darnell Washington getting money from from Tennessee and then he doesn't still en- doesn't end up going to Tennessee like Kirby's asked about that and he's like no I don't I don't get involved in that you don't have to answer that and like he doesn't have to answer that in that setting i think right. it's more of it's it's more of like okay is is he be, even being pushed in that direction or are we just like overlooking him and patting him on the back there is right. like that 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 elements that that's definitely there but um we did not get fireworks we did not get fireworks from Georgia we did not get Fireworks from Sabin, I would argue the JC Latham thing. Um, some fireworks, a, a little bit, a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, Sam Pittman continues to be the most likable coach in America.
2: I was about to say we got fireworks from Sam Pittman, boy. I love him. Oh uh,
1: gosh, when uh, so uh, Clark Brooks, who is SEC Stat <laughs> on Twitter. Um, and I think Clark puts out really, really interesting information that, that I cite. So when Clark Brooks raises his hand, like, you know, when you raise your hand at the press conference, you, you say like name affiliation stuff like that. And he's like, Clark Brooks and Pittman interrupts him. he's like, Garth Brooks. And it was this incredible moment. And Clark's like, Oh no, Clark. And uh, Pittman's like clearly disappointed. He's like, I was. I was going to ask you for your autograph. <laughs> it's just like, that's just Pittman. Like that is, that is, that is Pittman through and through uh, Rob Brown uh, of Memphis. I go, I go on his show uh, a good amount. And he, he asked the question about like, um, you know, drinking cold beer and like, what's, you know, is he drinking like hams or something like that? And he was talking up hams like mm-hmm. Rob Brown was. And then Sam, then Pittman of course is like, you know, Hey, like I, I like, I like hams, but it, it makes you burp too much. And, and then he's like, "You look like you have a a pretty good job, you know. Like, step it up. Like, don't. today was not the best day for for hams for for hams beer. It it really <laughs> wasn't. I, you know, my cheap beer. I'm gonna go to my go to is is PBR. Do you I don't even know your go to mm-hmm. beer. I don't. I I don't. I don't feel like we've discussed this before. Like your go to. Hey, like just get me whatever. And any sort of like just cheap light beer or something like that. What do you default to?
2: Miller Lite, that's my Uncle Ricky's beer. I always get that one. I bet like tailgate, anything with a couple of beer choices, give me the, the Miller Lite.
1: There's nothing wrong with that, Will. I love I love Mia Colon. That is the only beer that has been in my parents' fridge for roughly the last 30 years, unless somebody brings over a different beer and then it just sits in the fridge for a really long time until somebody else comes over and drinks that beer. I mean, like it's so weird. A Miller Lite is just like their default beer of choice. Uh, But yeah, Pittman...
2: Guys, is the if you're eating best. crawfish, you got to get the cheapest beer possible. Okay. That's the thing. The cheaper the beer, the better the crawfish. That's a fun little tip. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Good to know.
1: I had, I had fried crawfish for, uh, or no, I did not. I had fried catfish today. I did not have fried crawfish. I've had okay. fried crawfish in the last month. I did not have fried crawfish today. We had fried catfish as one of the media, one of the media, mm-hmm. um, availability, like, or one of the media lunches things that they, that they provide here, um, Another interesting revelation from Sam Pittman. Rocket Sanders is now up to 237 pounds, put on 10 pounds. He is running faster than ever. Boy looks, he looks big. Like he's he's ready to go. And I was kind of thinking about it. And I, and I asked him like, you know, what, what are you up to? What would you like to be able to play at? He's, he's up to 237 and would like to be able to play at 235. He can put, afford to put on a little bit of that weight, like because if you're running a system that doesn't rely as much on tempo, you can kind of get away with that as a, a little bit more. And that's not to say that he's going to be out of shape or anything like that. But there is a certain level of, you know, you, you have to play a little bit probably below what your your normal comfortable weight is. If you're gonna play that system. And that was something we talked about a lot with KJ a couple of years ago. And when he came into camp, you know, reportedly out of shape, and what's it gonna look like? And KJ like slimmed down the way that he needed to, and KJ's been fine. He's QB one. Um, but hearing that Rockets at 237, and according to Sam Pittman, running faster than ever, I'm like, the the Rocket stock, I cannot have enough of it. I, I do love me some Rocket Sanders, even if his volume goes down a little bit. I, I am a big, big mm-hmm. Rocket fan.
2: So what we got to do, I started to, you know, look up everything, but I'll just ask you because we got the Connor in-person test. Okay, so he's listed at 6'2". Are we feeling 6'2"? We feeling, 6'2"? we feeling 5'10"? How accurate is the 6'2"? I didn't stand next
1: to Rocket. I think he was taller than me from... Uh, I might have like... I might have been like 15 feet away from him at one point. I thought he was taller than me for sure. Um, I I don't think... There was no no alarm bells going off. He definitely looked two thirty seven though. He he looked two thirty seven, like very very thick. He's he was like so much smaller coming into Arkansas. Like he was like low twos when he got to Arkansas because he really wasn't a featured back in high school. And he had mm-hmm. a little bit of time where he wanted to play basketball instead of football. And and his his like his high school background was not what you would typically see. The, the exact opposite of Quinchon Judkins and his workload. At, at Pike Road in, in Alabama, of like very very different with the, with those guys of like how much they you know we're given the we're given the rock in high school and obviously both of them come in this year as obvious all SEC guys anybody that doesn't have them as all SEC guys coming into the year I'm kind of like what, what are we what are we doing that doesn't make any sort of sense um, mm-hmm. other takeaways other takeaways from the first well I guess this the second and third day of media days. We got some news about Horns Down, Will. Got some news. Mm -hmm. So the uh, coordinator of officials for the SEC, John John McDade, um, he outlined how unsportsmanlike conduct needs to essentially be taunting. And Mm -hmm. there will not be a special rule for Horns Down when Texas joins the SEC. It will be the same policy that they use for doing like the land shark celebration in someone's face or like Mm -hmm. the gator chomp in someone's face. If you gator chomp in someone's face, it's considered taunting. Mm -hmm. You do the land shark thing, considered taunting. You do horns down while standing over Arch Manning, probably going to get flagged for taunting. But the good news, the Clyde Edwards, he horns down the throw Mm -hmm. it down after a touchdown. I think he, I think you're good. Like, I think you can get away with that. I don't know if that's, it depends like how subtle you probably do it after a touchdown celebration like maybe don't face like face face the crowd and do it there don't like turn back to the field and do it but we're going to need a full breakdown of when horns down will be flagged and when it won't I didn't get those cutups I didn't see if they if they were made available I haven't been privy to that just yet but that's good news because if we were living in a world in which Texas was going to come to the SEC and horns down was going to be penalized every single time any mm-hmm. official caught any sort of whiff of it, well, that's not the world I want to live in.
2: A hundred percent as, as kind of dumb as it sounds, that was a very clear line of demarcation where the big 12, you know, just bowed down and was like, you guys don't like horns down. We'll stop everyone from doing horns down. Just stay here. And it still didn't work. So that's a pretty good example about, you know, <laughs> stick, it, stick it to your guns there. Now, my question is, what about the Will Greer? Okay. What if you just do a horns down to the crowd? You are taunting a nonspecific group of opposing people. Does that, does that qualify? Uh, I think you're fine. I think you're Okay. I think good,
1: I, yeah. I, you know what? Good, good. I think you'll be okay. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, kind of how this plays out. Um, but I, I tend to think like if you're if you're just like doing it at someone, that's when it's really going to get flagged. But mm-hmm. I mean, this. So this is this is the explanation that that we got. Unsportsmanlike conduct needs to fit one of three categories is it taunting an opponent is it making a travesty of the game is it otherwise compromising our ability to manage the game there's a difference between a player giving a signal directly in face of an opponent as opposed to doing it with teammates celebrating after a touchdown or on the sideline to net all that out every single occurrence is not an act of unsportsmanlike conduct mm-hmm. so like i th- i think you could do that celebrating with your teammates celebrating a touch can't probably can't do it as a sack dance like by yourself uh, like right next to your quarterback that you sacked but i think i think there are a lot of other instances in which this is good big news for oklahoma huge news for oklahoma think of how many oklahoma fans just live to do horns down i mean like that is their favorite thing in the world and you go from being in the big 12 wherein if you do that you get sent to azkaban for your entire life that's a harry potter <laughs> reference to
2: azkaban, yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> and here like hey you're good like you know what? What do they call that? Ex post facto? I don't know. I don't know Latin very well. <laughs> that's not me. But, <laughs> but I think that's my I question think good. here is the second bullet point. You, just give me the second bullet point again. I didn't have them in bullet points. A like uh, travesty is it, to
2: the game of football.
1: Yeah, is it a travesty to the game? Which is like that's the most subjective <laughs> thing I've ever heard. I don't. I could. I could point to a lot of things that are not a travesty to the <laughs> game, but uh yeah chad
2: morris now like that was a travesty to the game of football like (laughs) like it's a travesty to the game of football Les miles not crossing the 50 yard line is a travesty to the game of football like what does that mean
1: jimbo fisher's offense last year was a travesty of the game of football (laughs) i mean yeah how about chad morris by the way chad morris gets an analyst job with clemson big day for the old chad yeah huge news for him um yeah so interesting that we we actually have some clarification on Hornsdown. I, I am I can't wait to see that penalized the very first time and what that looks like. We're gonna have to do a full mm-hmm. breakdown of what of what that is. Um I thought the coach so far who has come off the best this week is Hugh Freeze. And I think for everybody that has said at one point, I just can't listen to Hugh Freeze. It's you know, there's some evangelical type way about him. He feels like he's the leader of a mega church. He did not come off like that at all on Tuesday. And Mm -hmm. he was really humble. I thought hearing him talk about giving up control of the offense to Philip Montgomery and understanding that, that he is not, as he said, one of the best play callers in college football anymore. And those days have passed. He's been willing to change his terminology, terminology that he had dating back to when he was coaching high school football and saying we've got all these unknowns, man. Like we've got a ton of unknowns for for this team. And there was no puffing the chest out, overconfident Hugh Freeze. It was a very different mood, obviously, than the one Brian Harson came to our SEC Media Days with last year, <laughs> where he had to address the coup directly to get him fired. And it's it, it was, I thought, pretty, pretty spot on, really good self-awareness from Hugh Freeze, which is something I haven't really said. I don't know the last time I said Hugh Freeze has had self-awareness. I mean, that is like mm-hmm. – that, that, that does not happen uh, very often. But, yes, I thought of all the coaches, Hugh Freeze came off really, really well and has done a nice job in re- trying to rebuild you know, his image and whatever you want to call that um, at, at, at this point of his career. But any other interesting things that came out from uh, from media days? I don't know. I I, I, I love me some Ray Davis. I know we already talked about him with the mm-hmm. All Bang the Drum team. Ray Davis was not here, but hearing Kentucky teammates talk about that guy and what he's going to mean to that program, just mark that name down right now because we're going to be talking a lot about Ray, Ray Davis probably over the course of this year and the impact that he's going to have on that backfield. As J.J. Weaver put it, he's like a smaller Chris Rodriguez, takes five or six guys to bring him down. Mm -hmm. wild upbringing too he's got like 14 siblings he was in foster care as a kid like his parents were incarcerated like just a a a wild story of a guy who um means a lot to that program and as we we talked about with the all bang the drum team uh was called lebron at vandy and not because of his skill set but because of his receding hairline so dude has seen some stuff Uh, that's all
2: time I, love that so much. <laughs> I was about to say, what makes you love around at Vandy? That's like your, your ACT score, but not your hairline. Okay. That makes it. <laughs> yes. Yes. No uh, but yes,
1: Ray Davis, a, a proud member of the all bang the drum team. So as a, yeah, we don't know uh, the rev, what we're going to find out on Thursday, but I will be spending Thursday following Shane Beamer. So I will be around the South Carolina coach um, all day. His entire media day appearance uh, here in Nashville, so I won't be getting to as much of the other stuff. So I'll try and be, you know, keeping tabs on that. But we'll, maybe we'll do some sort of mm-hmm. like what we missed stuff uh, later next week. But yeah, I think that pretty much does it for everything that we found out from media It's been great to see people. Love seeing people here. I know I talk about it all the time, so I'm blue in the face. Shout out to my guy Lawrence Butts. Was able to have uh, dinner with him on Tuesday night. He lives in Nashville, Lawrence. For for OG listeners of this show. Or OG list OG readers of SaturdayDownSouth.com, the world's best college football website that you should just have bookmarked at all times. Just saying. Of course. Um, he was the guy who had the Alabama Florida State game on while he was in Saddam Hussein's house. Like while he was while he was in the army. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy.
2: Yeah. That, no, that's a story. Yeah, it's all time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So good good being able to, to meet up with him. Good being able to see a ton of people this week and make the rounds and do all that stuff. We're gonna be hitting up karaoke pretty soon. I look, by the time people are listening to this, maybe a video will already be out there. I'm planning on doing drink in my hand, Eric Church. That was the plan okay. last year. That's the plan this year. The vocal range isn't too steep. I think I'm gonna be all right. Hopefully I'm gonna be all right. Uh I'm a little bit terrified though. I'm gonna I'm gonna
2: be honest with you. Like, K- karaoke's scary. It's very scary. Listen, zero beer connor cannot sing that song. That's all I'm gonna say. Especially given the context of the song. You know, you need Drink to be my at head. least two beer connor. Drink exactly. Head, like I'm just telling you the feel the way the way you feel right now is not going to be the same. Not that we've we've joked about drinking before. It's not like you're obviously like off, you know, some crazy person, but karaoke if you do it sober is not the same. It's no. not as good. You got to have that little bit of, you know, a little bit of pizzazz to you. So I'm sure you'll crush it, man. Have
1: you done karaoke
2: before? Yeah.
1: Okay, I didn't know this. What was what's, what? What would be your go-to karaoke song if you were forced into action right now?
2: Uh, Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. Oh,
1: all time. So I used to listen. You're you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. I used to listen to Juicy on this hundred like hundred ten song mix that I had in my car that I would drive that I would listen to driving to Indianapolis when I mm-hmm. interned with Indianapolis Indians. And I, at one point, knew probably 80% of the words to that song. And I could like just go right along with it. So I could probably at least do backup on Juicy at karaoke. Did that impress you?
2: Yes, I love that. We'll do a duet. Um, and, and the thing about Juicy is the reason why it's such a good uh karaoke song if you get the real like the regular version of it where he kind of is like talking at the beginning of it if you can really hit that on beat everybody's like whoa what's going on because it's like a weird little cadence he has get a grip you know and then then you know the the second verse what is it i think it's the second verse super nintendo sega genesis when i was dead broke man i couldn't picture couldn't this picture this. that is like that's my favorite i think my favorite rap verse of all so because he just goes through like it's a whole redemption arc it's a it's like a you know any great epic. So I think I think it's a great story. I love Juicy, bro. It's one of my favorite songs ever.
1: We bookended the first part of the pod by just talking about bars. Just J.C. Latham bars and Biggie with bars. That's that, that is fitting. Bars have been bars have been dropped, maybe not many better than than Biggie though. Juicy is all time. All time. All right. Let's oh, I want to say it. one
2: thing real quick on that tip, though. One, my favorite, and of course, I can't find the quote right now, but uh, the the cool thing, I mean, hate to give credit to Hugh Freeze, but the, his quote about, you know, I used to be one of the best play callers. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, just coming in there and being like, look, I mean, you guys remember me from 2016. I remember me from 2016 and just saying, you know, this is a whole new thing. I think the terminology thing and this is, is I, I did have the quote about his uh, basically everyone knows his terminology because he has so many people that are running kind of versions yep. or copycats of his offense. Is an interesting place to be in life. And have to reinvent yourself, because your system works so well, you know, you beat Alabama twice in a row, which is really hard to do. And so many people saw that and kind of built their own version of your system that you have to reinvent yourself and do that, you know, do the Dr. Dre, come back and be like, look, you know, you guys remember me from back in the day. Now, now I'm going to do a whole new thing. I'm going to have a new, so it's cool. It's going to be, and, and, and to your point about Brian Harson too, when a guy is aware <laughs> of the situation he's in, which Brian Harson was not for a day at Auburn, I think it's, it's, that's, that's the right place to your head is that if you are going to hire Hugh Freeze, this is probably where he needs to be. Hugh Freeze, a believer in adapt or die. Is right.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: We support that.
1: We very much support that. All right. Let's kick it to our interview with Gary Danielson. Um, Really, I think interesting to hear his perspective on being somebody that is admittedly like not that well liked by SEC fans, Um, different kind of interview that I've typically done with people in that world. Um, And I think, I think people will find this interesting and yeah, a little bit of a warning, you know, not usual setup. We're dealing with like different microphones and stuff like that. So if the audio isn't 100% perfect, don't leave us a one-star review. Don't do that. But, I think you will still enjoy this interview with Gary Danielson. So here's Gary. All right, I'm excited to be joined by a very special guest. First time Gary Danielson, the voice of CBS, SEC on CBS, which, gosh, it feels even weird to say, it's gonna be no longer, very, very soon. Have you even processed what that's gonna be like, not having the SEC on CBS?
0: Not really, honestly. Um You know, because it's been a while since it's been announced. You know, we've known about it for three years, basically. You know, we've been lame ducks in a way. We've worked very hard to not at all let, you know, the foot off the gas pedal and make sure we do the best we can for a great product. And uh, at CBS, we're very proud of our presentation. Uh, We've played, in my opinion, a nice part in the formula that created this sec monster having a standalone game at a network at 30 was a big leap for cbs at the time it was a regional game and uh cbs got lucky and i think the sec got lucky to have a place where around the country they could go find the same announce team the same game and it became a standard college football
1: it feels big it, it is so hard to manufacture the, the big game deal, and there are so few places that can do that. But you guys have established that. What's, what's next for you? What's, what's this, next, this next chapter when 2024 rolls around and the entire broadcasting world, the enchi- entire sport is different?
0: I, I really worry about it personally, uh, honestly. I might if I was 50, but you know, Nick's age, I'm 72. You know, I mean, I've been doing this in my 34th year. I'll roll with it, you know. I'll give. listen, people, I'll be doing 10 games. Um, It's not a big gig. Um, There's a lot of intensity there, great football. I mean, I've been charmed. I mean, I've done, you know, my first game in 1990 was Miami at BYU when Ty Detmer basically won the Heisman against Miami. I don't even know if you were watching catch football then but.
1: i was born in 1990
0: yeah there you go so i mean i've had great games i've had hall of fame partners i mean i worked started out with i mean i was musburger we did two national championship games together i chose to come to the sec i knew i predicted the sec is going to explode i was wrong i said they win five out of the next 10 championships they won the next in a row um, it's been a monster. I've been able to be a part of it. It's been a great ride. I get to go with Vern Lundquist, another Hall of Famer. I go from Brent Musburger to you know Vern Lundquist and now Nessler. Three. I mean, you can't get any better than that. And then the product we get produced each week. I so I've done what 12, 17 years times twelve. I've done probably close to two hundred and fifty SEC games, and I'll bet I haven't had ten that did not have national championship implications on the game, where both fan bases were at a pitched huge game. And parenthetically, if I could just, you know, I'm not much for track and field or watching swing or figure skating, but if you attach a gold medal, if you attach consequences to an event, I'm in. Well, I've had consequences of game for 17 straight years. And that's why you get that third pitch because, you know, college football is a game of opinions. And the fan base, they're all in, you know. And when you say something that's not good to their ears, it's like you're talking about their brother or their sister or their mom and their dad. They're, they're upset. But the hidden strength of this, con- yes, the demographics have moved to the south and that's been a benefit. It was, when I was growing up, the demographics favored the Big Ten. That's where all the, the steel mills were there. The car factories were there. That's where the players were. The demographics have kind of shifted now, and it's been to the advantage of the SEC. But the real hidden strength of this league is the demand of the fan base. You have to produce. You, Saturday Night South, have to produce. You can't lollygag and give them crap. You got to produce top level. the radio stations, the administration, the stadiums, the service stadiums, the coaching staffs, the quarterback and the guy who calls the games. We all have to produce. It's been great. That's the way it should be.
1: Okay, let's talk about that because obviously the, your criticism is is unique in that I mean,
0: criticism about me. Is that what you're saying?
1: The criticism of you is is very unique in that
0: my criticism about somebody else. Okay.
1: No, no. Yeah. The criti- criticism about you is a unique spot because people know where they can find you each and every week. It is a big time game. You talk about having that emotional investment that into it. And I think that feeds into part of this. And anything that you say that doesn't jive with what person thinks, we are going to even, you know, our, sites like ours, Saturday Down South, we're going to fans are blasting Gary Danielson. How have you dealt with that over the years knowing that each and every week your approval rate probably isn't going to be particularly good knowing the stakes and knowing the circumstances.
0: I don't know if it's approval rating. Um, I I do, I do know it's there. I'm aware of, I don't dwell on it. I don't dwell on it because it's not that I don't care what the fans think. It's actually almost the opposite. I don't want to dwell into it because I don't want it to affect how I call the game. If I go on, everybody likes to be liked. So if you go on it and you dwell on it, then you start playing to the fans. I don't want to play to the I want to call the game the way my opinion sees it, okay? Now, I was taught this young, you know, and it kind of stuck with me. I have it on the back of my game plan all the time. Everybody, when they start out, I stole it from somebody, I didn't make this up. Everybody, when they start out, they say what they believe to be right. And, and you know, we try to do that. But after a while, when you get in it, you end up believing everything that you say is right. No matter what, you know, I've never chased that shark. I've always been humble and understanding that I don't know it all, I'm calling it my opinion. I don't expect everybody to agree with me, but I'm calling what I see and trying to make sense of the game and, and honor the game by being prepared. Well, yeah, I mess up names. We all make mistakes. That's not it. But I don't think anybody would argue that I don't know what I'm talking about, that I'm not prepared for the game. I've never, ever not put in a whole week's work to do the game. Just like I played, I do that. The only thing that bothers me about it, okay, not your site in particular, all combined, is that it's all about me. Our crew is fantastic. We're very proud of our presentation. We understand how important college football is to what we're covering. And it just sets me personally that when our people flick their phones on at the game that they do, all they read about, is Gary, Gary, Gary. Well, God, 70 people. We have some of the most skilled people in all of college football. Our cameramen are the same 12, 15 cameramen that cut the Masters. We have a veteran tape crew, the same tape crew that, in the, in real time, in a matter of minutes, spliced together Drake stepping out of bounds and spliced it. I'm on talk back with my producer. I go, you've got to get the camera and his foot in a split screen or we're not going to know. So I might be demanding the impossible. One of our guys raises her hand and said, I can do it. So we ask for another minute. We put it together and the kick six happens. We're really proud of that stuff. And we're also understand how important college football is. We understand it. And I just hate that it's, I, I don't like it just to be about me i don't care if it's i would like if it was all good about me
1: i've read a story about you al.com story a couple years ago wherein you said i can have it like if i wanted to just like call big 10 games or something like that i fly in i could fly out it'd be easy i'd be with it it'd be fine but I like this. I like that people care as much as they do. And like, I'm, I'm like you in that, like, you know, I grew up you know, in the Midwest and I like writing about something that I know people are gonna have crazy opinions about because if they didn't, you, we wouldn't be talking and having this conversation right now, and it would have been like, oh, well, you're just considered another guy. Do you embrace the fact, that, like this chapter of your life, like calling SEC games, it's always going to be sacred, and because of the rise of the SEC, you will always be synonymous with this era in a way that, like, with all due respect, it's going to be nearly impossible to replicate it if you're not calling SEC games.
0: Well, I, I saw Mac, uh, McElroy, Cole Kublik. And I said, we're going to try to kick ass again this year because I want so bad that the year we leave, go, you guys are terrible compared to the S. CBS did it better than you guys. I said, that's our goal. We want them to go. There was a funny tweet. It was, oh, I've enjoyed it. I guess that's the thing. It gets me going. When I take Sunday off, Monday I'm back to the burner, you know, it was just like when I played. There was a, to give you a glimpse, it was when I was playing for the Lions. And I, I, I was a free, I was a walk-on with the Lions. I'm from Detroit, okay. I grew up booing the Lions when I was a kid, you know. Now I'm getting booed and loved and loved and booed, you know. And so, it's a 1983 or 84 when the Tigers were good. And... Uh, my daughter's in third grade, and I, I'm sitting there, and I hear her go to my wife and say, Mom, I wish Dad played for the Tigers. I mean, they're good, and the Lions are terrible. You know, I just, "Kell, you like your house? You like your swimming pool? I mean, this is not bad. I know, I know, I know. So then my son, who's in first grade, says, Mom, all the kids at school said Dad sucks. And she goes, what? goes, yeah, I mean, everybody just says dad sucks. And she goes, Matt, you have to tough up. You have to understand that there's your dad and then there's Gary Daniels' quarterback. You have to, he said, and he goes, no, Mom, they're talking about dad. It's not anybody else. It's dad. So I get it, but it really energizes me. But on the other hand, I'm not, how do I say this? I'm not discounting it. I'm not, I, believe me, I'm not pretending that this is only 1%. I, I, it is what it is. I don't care what it is. But I have never been disrespected in the 17 years publicly by anyone. You know, for the caricature of the SC fan of being out of control, it, I've never experienced that. I've never walked into a restaurant, I've never met anybody at the airport. I've never had anybody be rude to me at all, and th- there's a place for it, the booing and all that stuff, but I- I've total enjoyed all 17 years of it.
1: Okay, so for the first time in these 17 years, I'll give you, I'll give you two let's, let's Let's do that. Sure. K.J. Jefferson, Cam Newton comparisons – Mm, can't get on board with that. Can't get on board with KJ's Cam. I, can, I, can I? Can I throw one at you? I'll throw one at you. Don't run a problem without providing a solution. That's the theory that I believe in. Ben Roethlisberger, Miami of Ohio days. That KJ has a lot in him there. I don't see Cam the way that you.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, that's that's the object of a person writes or writes articles or talks is. You say something so everybody else can look at it and go, oh, no, I disagree with that. That's, that's good. I mean, that's what you're trying to do is say something. See, I, First of all, when I first started in this, my first producer, I go, I haven't done this, okay? And I go, fuck you, Gary, you can say whatever you want. After play-by-play guy finished, you can say whatever you want, but you got 12 seconds. And then Brent Musburger says, yeah, you got 12 seconds but if it's not interesting I'm cutting you off okay so that's kind of the fun of it got to be interesting you got to notice things you got to have creativity but you're also trying to pique the interest of the person who's watching the game what is why is it what what see that he's camp I didn't say he was The difference it's alright I'm not criticizing the crit, critique I'm saying I'm not saying equal to Cam, I'm saying his style is Cam-like. The way he's been strong and he can run the power inside, yet he has that touch every once in a while. Cam started out, I saw him play his first game in Florida. He didn't end up like he was at Auburn when he started out, but their body types and when you interview them, they're very much alike too in their personalities. But that's all good. I... Listen, I turn on the games and review my games afterwards and I go, Jesus, Gary, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. I say that about myself, too, you know. I do not, I mean, I'm flying fast and I'm saying stuff. I, I accept all of the criticism. Sometimes I think, like, you want to try this? It's not that easy, but we're getting paid to be right. I mean, I, some, you know, there, sometimes you just blow it. You just make a big mistake sorry i've done for 500 games four hours a game what is that that's a lot of hours of live i can't press the stop button and start over but it is what it is but cbs is paying me to make those mistakes
1: what's one that stands out like i, I like in my field i look back at old tweets and find stupid things that I said. Like, right, right. I, I said Jalen Hurts was gonna transfer in the middle of the 2018 season. One of the worst takes I've ever had. I cringe every time I see that because if I Google or if I just search it with my name yeah. and Jalen Hurts, that's the first thumbs up. Well, it's, what's the one that stands out that you looked back and you're like, dang, like I wish I could go back and have that because you don't get a rebuttal. Like you just get, that's your film. You're not gonna come back on the broadcast a week later.
0: To be honest, I chose not to do rebuttals. I could paste together um, a Twitter page where I show an, I'll do the same game and I'd pick out spots from both sides complaining from the opposite. I could do that and make myself look better. I chose not to. It's their area to complain. That's their territory. I've had my three hours, I feel. There are a lot of announcers that do it. They go out and pick out the Twitter things and argue about it and make themselves look better. I- I think I've done that and done it very effectively.
1: Gary, that's next to you. <laughs> I, you follow zero people on Twitter, but I think this is, this is part of the next chapter of well, life.
0: Actually, that's not even me. That's what's so terrible about it. What's That
1: burner? That's not even you? I know. All right. So, Gary, we got to get you actually on Twitter.
0: No, I don't. Like to, I don't. I, I can get Twitter. I don't want to. I, I don't want to complain. It's part of the job. Take it. I only want to regret the most is the Chamberlain young lady that got hurt with the camera. Have you ever, done a, have you ever seen the play-by-play booth in Auburn?
1: I haven't at it's Auburn. At the,
0: it's at the left side 18-yard line. Tackle happened on the goal 150 yards away. And it, I, I didn't really goof. It's my style. I watch the play, and I go to my replays, And I work my producer to try to figure out who made the play, and I'll 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 look at it myself, and I go, "We need to get the pit angle of this on our replay." So I was completely immersed into getting who made the tackle, who got the ball, who the blocking was, and wasn't listening to what was on TV. I wasn't even aware of it. Only thing that ever has hurt me in all my years is that people who knew me and I thought were, I don't say friends, but knew me, thought that I didn't care somebody got hurt. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, I didn't see it. It's my job to see it, get it, okay? I didn't. I mean, that's the way I do the game. I go from the game to the replay. I think that's why we have better replays than everybody else because the truck can't see what I see So I'm part analyst, part producer when I do a game. I'm immensely involved in what's coming on the air, and I don't use the monitor hardly at all. I don't, but it's a bad mistake, and I paid dearly for it, and I felt terrible, but I apologize. I mean, that's all I can do, but I was disappointed in a lot of people that knew me that jumped on me, and they were wrong.
1: Let's talk about a, a happier memory of a story that stands out. Heard plenty. What's, what's the one that when you think, when Vern pops into your mind, just like that just sums up who he is. Gary is smiling ear to ear right now, by the way. I need the, the silence is Gary smiling.
0: Yeah. All right. So there's like three stories. I don't know if I should tell them. It's, you know. So when we we didn't do the Army Navy game first, we we do the SEC championship. When we were, it was not the same. It was the same week as the SC championship. So we didn't do Army Navy. So then they moved it in a standalone game. So after doing the SEC championship and the intensity of that game, we had to do Army Navy. And, and I was just complaining about. I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm. It's, you know, I mean, it's a wishbone. It's the wishbone. I don't know these guys. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's more work than three SEC games. Just start from zero and get ready. And I said, oh, I hate doing this. And Vern got really mad at me. I go, I said to him, I go, just bring back Todd and do the game with you. And he steamed out, you know. And he got really mad. And... Our first game was spectacular. It, it was, now I've done more Army-Navy games than anyone has ever done. I mean, the greatest announcers in the world, there's a list of people that have done it. It's my favorite game of the year, and I always have to tell Vern he was right and I was wrong. he, <laughs> how he I go, this is so much fun to do this game. And I ran the wishbone in college, so I could relate to it, but I was nervous. I couldn't live up to the game. And. It, you know, so that was funny because he was so mad at me. I thought he was going to quit. I was really. So it was the year he was going to retire. And they were having the farewell tour. And I was out um, on Thursday night after practice, know the people. And then I was out to dinner with them. And they had some friends who actually bid on Joe Names fur coat and got it for like 50,000 bucks. They were Alabama people and they bought it. And I. They introduced me to him. They go, we, we at auction bought Joe Namath's fur coat. And I said, If you bring it to the booth, I'll introduce you to Joe Namath. Because he's always in the booth right next to us. They go, What? And I go, It's your job. If you're that rich. You should be able to get up to the section where I am. If you bring it, I'll get you with Jim Namath. So they get up there. They get a picture with Joe and they're thrilled. And I said, Hey, Joe, would you come on with Ver? And he, I go, as a surprise, absolutely. So we're doing a cut-in. Don't tell Vern that Joe is going to come in. So I'm talking to Vern, and Joe seeks up from behind him. And they have that fantastic, Vern, uh, Joe kisses Vern. and Vern laughs, And Joe puts on the mink coat and everything like that. It was spectacular. And uh, Vern was very appreciative of it.
1: How much do you get to talk to Vern these days?
0: Not a lot. Once a month, you know. Once every other month. It was his eighty-third birthday yesterday. No, but I'll tell you the payoff Vern got, because there was a time when the media was the social media was on Vern, and in two thousand and twelve and thirteen, you know, um, Uncle Vern was somewhat of a derogatory description of Vern. It was like the old uncle that didn't, and it was, it was terrible I was happy about it you know and I went on Paul Feinbaum's show and scolded the fans I was Are you sure this man loves SEC football I, I was impassioned about it and you know it turned not because of me but somehow the fan base Vern ended his last four years was fantastic and uh, his time in the SEC and his recognition that he got at the end I was really pleased about
1: I think perspective is everything with announcers. And I've always kind of subscribed to the belief that the, the national announcers are always going to get criticized in a unique way because they are not homers, sure. not calling for the team radio station. And I think Vern was fully embraced in that way at the end, whereas like for a long time, and I know this is something that you have faced criticism for and, and always will in this role of like, hey, why don't you want my team to win? Why are you actively rooting against my team? Um, so we'll end with this question. Everybody wants to know, your favorite team in the SEC is...
0: Uh, my least favorite team in the SEC. Uh, it's not really relevant. It really isn't. Uh, I enjoy a good game. If it's a good game, I'm in. You know, I mean, did I think South Carolina, Stephen Garcia, could put up a game against Alabama? No. You know, did I think Lane Kiffin with Jonathan Compton could go into Alabama and almost put a win on that score? No. Um, I chose not to pretend to be an SEC guy. I thought it would be rude to, you know, talk about, you know, the swamp as if I was part of it. I don't deserve that. McElroy and the guys who lived it or coached it or if you grew up here, I embraced the fact that I am calling the games. That's enough. I don't have to pretend to know everything about the SEC and pretend that, oh, this is my favorite part. Going to Ole Miss, going to the Grove. I I took pride in the fact that I've never been to the Grove. I have no idea to get to the Grove.
1: It's awesome, Gary. You need to go.
0: (laughs) It's, It's okay. I may do that, but it's not my job. I, I felt like my job was to be sully in the land the plane, be calm, be unemotional, enjoy the game, marvel at the, at the players we get to do, but not pretend to be something I wasn't. Because uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a, I'm, now, it's going to be very interesting when I go to the Big Ten because everybody in the SEC... Gary's not an SEC guy. Everybody outside the SEC that hates the SEC think Gary's an SEC homer. I'm telling the Big Ten people are going to crush me. I look forward to it.
1: Gary, this has been great. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on, 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 on your life being established as one of the voices of the SEC, and that's something that will not go away even with your next step. Thank you. Okay, so we got news Wednesday that uh, the AJC had, fired the reporter who wrote the story that um, Georgia had demanded a, uh, a retraction of uh, related to Georgia's handling of sexually violent cases against women and allowing players to, to stay in the team. Um, the, the original story that Alan Judd had wrote had specifically outlined that 11 players had remained on the team. Um, after women reported violent encounters and that this was an issue that Georgia was having and they were essentially um, allowing Kirby Smart to exist in his own world. He had uh, essentially like a fall guy who was covering up everything related to this. Players were supporting um, teammates who were accused of this and that this was a massive problem at Georgia. And what we found out Wednesday with this um, Atlanta Journal Constitution correction was that Alan Judd had been fired, and he was fired for not upholding the journalistic standards. And essentially, this was because he they could not prove that it was precisely eleven players who had remained with the team after the violent encounters with Georgia football players. Like they couldn't settle on that specific number, and then also mm-hmm. Alan Judd had apparently put two statements that a detective made minutes apart into a single quotation, which like for anybody that's written an article before, if you've written something that quoted a person, if you've ever had to do that, maybe like if you've done that with a college paper or a blog or or something like that, um, it's a tricky space to navigate at times. And I've had to do that before where it's like, okay, a guy said absolutely nothing with this one or two sentence thing in between. But if I use sentences two and five instead, then that makes for a much better quote. And I'm still getting the point across of what he's saying. Of course, the pushback is when you do that and it changes the context of what you're, you're talking about. And that that's what they ultimately found um, with, with the piece that, that Alan Judd had come out with. So I know that there are probably a lot of people looking at the situation being like, ah, this is why you like, you can't trust media and this, this is why, you know, this, you, you just Georgia didn't do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. And, and and the issue is that there were probably some perfectly fair points that were made, but when you have a narrative that you're trying to prove, this is the point that we brought up a couple weeks ago, when you have a narrative Mm -hmm. that you're trying to prove, which became very clear, then you put yourself in a really bad spot. And to think that Georgia at the peak of its powers, was just going to lay down and let this happen. For a publication like the AJC, that was not going to be the case. I think this could have been different if the headline had been just a little bit different. But it was editorializing in the headline and the fact that they put this story behind a paywall. It was just weird from the jump. It was
2: really weird from the jump, and that was the issue. Yeah, this is one of those stories where our, our differences become really important because this is something that is fully in your wheelhouse as far as journalistic integrity, you know, being a writer and everything. I mean, in video, it's like, you know, that's completely different in entertainment, but then that's why I I just asked you like off air. It's like, you know, and and I think the way you explained it, it's great. It's like, if, you know, it's one thing to tell a story, to, to report a story, there you go. There's a difference between reporting a story and pushing a narrative, Right. And the unfortunate thing about this is that, to your point, I mean, does the AJC handling this part of the news wrong mean that Georgia is completely innocent and that their football program is just clean and, and none of this ha- happened? No, it doesn't mean that. But it, what it means is two things, really, unfortunately, is that I think that Georgia, anyone affiliated with Georgia is going to close down their involvement in this whole thing, because they've already seen the first move of whoever, you know, of the AJC trying to investigate them. And it was one that was, is it fair to call it dishonest? How, I mean, how would you, how would you describe their attempt to cover the story?
1: It lacked a little bit of journalistic integrity. It it lacked a little bit of that. And that, that was the issue that I have. Like when you're reporting on mm-hmm. something this sensitive, you, you provide the information, you get in, you get out. If you have information mm-hmm. that you want the world to see, you provide that information, you provide, you provide like the context and you let that information speak for itself. That is the best way to possibly do it with something like this. If you're going to start connecting dots and saying, well, you know, they, they've shown a, a habit of, of doing this, this, and this, that once you start doing that, you're in trouble. You're in serious, serious trouble. And cause you just don't need to. Like you, you just don't need to, mm-hmm. if the information that you're providing does paint a certain picture, people, consumers are smart enough to be able to connect those dots. Like they are, like even the Northwestern student newspaper did not provide yep. like this, like massive, like, you know, if you read that story, I think that story was only like 1300 words, 1400 words. It wasn't like a particularly long story because you have the context of, of the whistleblower, what the whistleblower saying, you provide what they're saying. You show factual proof of like, hey, this is when the investigation started. This is how this looks. You get in, you get out. And people will make of that what they mm-hmm. will. And that, I think, is if there's a lesson to be learned of this, hopefully that's it. What I hope doesn't happen is that anytime there is something like this that comes out, the there are people who will just assume, oh, well, you know what? It's just a narrative. Like presenting mm-hmm. facts is not necessarily presenting a narrative. You can, in this case, sometimes present facts that fit your own personal narrative, and that's what this dipped too far into. And that's ultimately like why well, a guy lost his job, like why well, a guy who's been doing this for three decades lost his job. And like, mm-hmm. it's it's I don't want to be talking about about something like this. Like that's not my ideal way of of discussing this sport. But at the same time, there is a desire to hold people accountable. Did he mm-hmm. maybe take that a bit? Did he take that responsibility on in a way that he felt fitting? Yes. Was it in a way that was best to provide the the information that he felt the world needed to see? Probably not. And that's that's the sticky area that he ultimately got got trapped into. And it's it's an unfortunate situation all around. This isn't like some win, you know. Like I don't think like Georgia fans should be like celebrating. They got their justice, I guess, so to speak. But. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really really messy deal, that like I don't really think there's me- there's any winners on
2: if if you're asking me. Yes, and and maybe you know, and that's why I was you know asking. Uh, maybe dishonest is a bit too far, but it feels very ends justify the means, right? It's that you have talked to all these people, you've done all this reporting, and you have this you know they call it a culture like this this culture of basically lack of accountability, right? And w- if you if you start from the end and you kind of work backwards, okay, so the specific number 11 doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it, you could say if you could fully lock, you know, lock down five to six people and say these are rock solid, we have, you know, two, three corroborating people every time we have these people on record, we can, we can go to war with these five or six accounts. I think that paints the exact same picture as eleven. But when you start to say, well, yeah, okay, they have this culture and there are these 11 people, and then they're forced to issue retraction to the 11, then the thing is, okay, is it two? Is it, you know, 10? And so I, I think that that becomes very, it's almost like I said, you just get, it feels like the guy got over his skis a little bit. And to your point, you know, you have a guy who, when you tell the story of this journalist's career, you're going to have to start with this that you know he did all these great things he's been there for 3 decades however this story was the end of it and that's unfortunate so there's no i mean i don't think that there needs to be further you know justice on him because that's going to always be with him um, but at the same time it's like you know when you click through these articles there are these big i mean multimedia pieces of like you know police cam footage and like good reporting that is tarnished by people objectively, you know, getting a little bit ahead of the skis, getting a little bit too eager to prove a point that they believe. And in 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 journalism, it's not about what you believe, it's about what you can prove. It's just like law in that way. It's like yeah. if I if I can prove that these Five or six people are at least accusing this. If I can at least prove that these charges are, pending, if I can prove this, then I'm going to run with that. But if you start to say, "Well, look, you know, this one and this one," you start putting it together. So that's that's my only thing. And 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 like I said, the thing that's really unfortunate about this man is this is not your typical case of local media being, you know, underfunded or oh well, you know, we just wish we had the resources to do this the right way. I mean, it was it feels like choices that were made incorrectly and and because of that going all the way back to what i said at the beginning of the pod where i was talking about you know the 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 chance to cover this correctly okay if the ajc has already missed their shot to completely accurately cover this everything that comes from the ajc from now on not only georgia fans but the georgia program is going to be able to say okay and you found this and you also thought there were 11 players and and as kirby smart You know, okay, this is going to sound rough, but it's true. This is a gift to getting him out of answering lots of hard questions because all he has to say now is, well, you guys prove that you were rooting for me to have misconduct. You were, you know, and so he is going to, like I said, shut everything down, go into war mode, start giving, you know, functionally pleading the fifth. As we've talked about, these coaches have the ability to do like no other job, but politicians. And it sucks that this was a real chance for local journalism to do this type of in-depth reporting. And it was just a, a swing and a miss that now that it's been missed, who's going to pick up where they left off, you know?
1: Yeah. And that, that'll, that would be really interesting to, to want to dig into that more. And if, there, if there is more to the story, then we'll find out, like we'll, we'll find out it, at right. some point in, and, and somebody who is willing to take that on and say, all right, this is the same information that we've brought. We talked about Jake Rowe providing that entire, like, text conversation that was not behind a paywall and on three and having like mm-hmm. the entire text back and forth conversation with a 16 year old Georgia recruit who ultimately was allowed to say uh, was allowed to stay on the team and what that essentially broke down to was like yeah get in get out provide the facts that were there in the police report that you were able to dig up and that you were able to do with your own reporting and provide this context that was needed that was not necessarily provided in an article like that like if you're going to write something explosive as explosive as explosive as that, that's where you need, you know, mm-hmm. the true like back and forth. Hey, like this is this is what this actually looked like in the police report to be able to, to break all that stuff down. But yeah, um, this this entire deal is like it just paints a bad picture for a lot of people involved, and it's it's too bad. Mm-hmm. Did not necessarily uh, didn't want to have to close a, a pod talking about it, but obviously a very newsworthy thing that happened um, on Wednesday. Okay, so plan for next week. We're still going to be doing once a week pods until fall camp starts. So that's going to be the plan. Mm -hmm. Great interview coming up with Jordan Rogers. That's some never, never been told stories coming from Jordan. I had a great conversation with him yesterday. So uh, that will be coming out next week, but I think we'll do some reacting to maybe all SEC team type stuff maybe a little bit of order finish predictions all my predictions are already out there uh as well you can find those on saturday down south uh, i think we put them on social platforms and stuff like that as well so um any other any other thoughts from from media days anything like that that you've been that that you just been you you just can't get over this week
2: um yeah, I mean, I think, uh, okay, let me ask you this, like, so far, because there's a little bit, and obviously the highlight will probably be the Beamer thing for, like, you or us, like, I think Beamer's number one a really engaging guy, but so far, what do you think has been the moment of the week? Um, like, from a personal standpoint,
1: selfishly, like, I I love going on mom. like, that's that's really cool. Spending, Mm -hmm. spending a half hour with Gary was, was very unique, like really, really unique. And hopefully that came Mm -hmm. out in in the conversation. But I think the highlight of the week, I mean, Pittman confusing Clark Brooks for Garth Brooks was so funny. Um, (laughs) I like the most noteworthy thing that's that's been has been was was the Jimbo stuff that we talked about the other day. Like it's it's Jimbo yeah. not being willing to admit what his offense looks like, and 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 hearing him continue to to fumble over these words when he could just squash this in two seconds and just say, "Bobby Petrino's calling plays. I'm taking a step back. Offense hasn't been good enough. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's been that like true highlight yet, but be, being able to to spend spend some time with Beamer will be
2: probably the highlight of my week. Yeah, I think, you know, the J.C. Latham stuff that we talked about, I think, is definitely up there. And then, yeah. honestly, it's it's funny because, like, I heard, like, the Pittman quote, but I didn't know that guy was SEC stat cat. And so I kind of made that face. And honestly, Connor, I've just, for my own benefit, imagine just, like, a chunky Rudy sitting there just looking up SEC stats, just like, a big chubby cat <laughs> that is the SEC stat cat uh, who looks up stats. So I'm glad to put a face to that name, even if, you know, it's through a joke
1: yeah no uh little little bit different clark looks a little bit different uh first time he I does great work is- i can't
2: shout him out enough now i know his name specifically too definitely definitely
1: good dude um okay yeah that's a that's a wrap on media days we have tons of coverage on saturdaydownsouth.com if you have not you should definitely give a five-star review you should follow us on twitter at the Pod at CJ gara at go so hard join the facebook group and hear your name right on air with figuring out a golden brush thanks guys Talk soon.